It is said that in less than 10 years, there will be about a quarter of a million more people living in Wake County than there are today. Can you imagine that? We can. This is the Imagine Wake podcast. The Imagine Wake initiative was started by the Home Builders Association of Raleigh, Wake County, to bring about a community-wide discussion on the future and growth of Wake County. Through this, we hope to develop some common understandings on what it will take to provide for and welcome our future neighbors. Welcome to Imagine Wake. In this episode, I was really excited to be able to interview former Raleigh Mayor Charles Meeker. Uh, You'll hear at the beginning of this, there were some microphone problems, but within a minute, they got straightened out. And what follows is a really interesting conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. Here we go. All right. Welcome back to the Imagine Wake podcast. Uh, This is Paul Kane from the HBA here. And uh, with us today, we have as our our special guest, uh, Mr. Charles Meeker, who is a uh, local attorney and... uh, and former mayor of Raleigh and, and a visionary of the Imagine Wake Alliance. So, welcome. Paul, thanks for having me. This is a really interesting discussion to have. Yeah, it really is. And it's uh, when, when we started this, we kind of started looking down the road and seeing what the growth projections were. And we were like, holy cow, <laughs> we need to get everybody talking about this. You know, Raleigh and Wake have changed so much. When I came here, there was less than 250,000. Now we're well over a million, 1.1, 1.2 million in, in White County. And the area has just changed dramatically with all the growth. Most of it, of course, suburban, but some of the downtown areas are growing as well. So tell me, you, you say when you moved here, the population was, was quite a bit lower. When, when did you move here and what brought you here? Well, I moved here in 1975 after I finished law school. Uh, my family had vacationed on the Outer Banks at Oak Island for years. And instead of staying in New York like most of my classmates, I thought I'd go to a smaller community and sort of have a more relaxed, fun life. I don't think I realized quite how far Raleigh is from the Outer Banks, uh, but that's how I got here. I knew to come to North Carolina because we vacationed here, and Raleigh's the first really big city from the Outer Banks. So you came in 1975. So tell me what, what Raleigh was like then. Well, it was a much smaller town, of course. Uh, the downtown wasn't doing that well. The Fayetteville Street Mall had just been put in. A real friendly place, though. NC State's always been a big influence, and it certainly was then as well. Uh, but just a, a much smaller town. Didn't have the kind of suburban areas you have in northeast, northwest Raleigh that you have today. It was really much more an inside the Beltline kind of place. Yeah, so we, uh, my family and I go to the uh, St. Michael's Episcopal Church, which is on Canterbury, uh, inside the Beltline. And... Um, The priest there tells a story about when that church was established in in the 1950s, it was considered to kind of be out in the country almost. So, Well, and in the early 70s, you know, North Hills had just been built, the first round of North Hills. Crabtree Valley was was under construction in the early 70s, and those were considered pretty far away. And, of course, now they're really very much in town. Now we call them Midtown. That's right. (laughs) And, of course, they're so different. I mean, North Hills is just an entirely different place than it was back in the early 70s. So you... uh, Moved here and got into the law practice. Um, t- tell me about uh, about your law practice and, and what type of law you, you practice. Well, I started with the, the Sanford Cannon firm, Terry Sanford's firm. It's had various names over the years, but I'm staying with the same firm. A trial practice, mainly in state superior court, a few things in federal court, and also do some administrative work. It's been really interesting. Done all kinds of cases over the years. Sounds like a pretty... Uh, Broad, broad base there. It is. I mean, it's, um, again, the firm when I joined, I was the 10th lawyer. 
Now we're part of a bigger firm and the Raleigh office probably has 65 lawyers. So it's so different. And maybe half the practice used to be adversary proceedings. Today it's probably 15 or 20 percent. It's very different, much more business, public finance, real estate, that kind of thing. Yeah, boy, pretty busy then. It, well, law firms are very busy in Raleigh right now. The economy <laughs> is strong and law firms are riding that wave. Absolutely. So, um, so you, you've had a, a successful law practice and then at some point you, you had an eye towards uh, getting into elected office. Well, you know, I was involved with the neighborhood association. There weren't that many younger folks who had moved to Boyle Heights at that point. So I was involved with our association. And we had an issue with too many group homes. There are already three in this neighborhood. There are about 200 houses, so that seemed like a lot. And we had a really good city councilor, a lady named Miriam Block, uh, who represented this area of the city. And she helped us with an ordinance that is still in effect today that requires group homes to be at least a quarter mile apart so they can't all be located just in one one neighborhood. Uh, D- define a group home. A group home would be uh, more than five or six people, quite often with drug issues mm-hmm. or people coming out of prison, uh, something of that nature, alcohol issues. We still have three, but we haven't gotten you know five, six, seven, or ten. The neighborhood had a lot of bigger houses that were sort of fit pretty well with that kind of model, but we really sort of had enough when you had had three. Anyway, Marion Block was a really good city councilor. Uh, she helped us out, and she was stepped aside in 1981. And I said, what the heck, I'll run. I didn't make it the first time, but I did get elected in 1985, four years later. 1985. So you'd been in town for about 10 years. Right. And, of course, uh, this this neighborhood, Boylan Heights, where you still live today, um, uh, what what was it like? I mean, obviously there were some uh, group homes, but what else was going on? Well, it was an area that had a lot of um, some opportunities and also some challenges. The opportunity was that about as much as half of the houses were in apartments. So there's a lot of affordable housing, two or three apartments per house. The houses have been split up. The challenge was the housing stock was running down. That is, the, the owners were mainly absentees who weren't really focused on renovation. Mm-hmm. And things really started to turn around, not when I got here, but sort of the mid-80s. The neighborhood did vote to become a historic district. Then all of a sudden, you had younger families with kids moving in. The houses got converted back to single-family houses, and it became a much more stable sort of neighborhood in that regard. Uh, yeah, now it's it's a, a beautiful historic neighborhood. Yeah, it's very nice now. We still have maybe uh, a fifth of the houses are in, in apartments. It's still some of that. The challenge we face now is the prices have gotten so high. Really, it's hard for you know, our kids to move into a place like this. Well, years ago, the housing was cheap, and uh, it was very, very different in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, well, of course, uh, prices are getting high everywhere now. That um, I was this morning talking to the... Uh, City council, or I guess town council in Garner, and, and they were asking me questions about all the affordability issues. And it's there's so much to unpack in all that. Um, you know, I, I talk about it in terms of the construction side because that's my world. But then, you know, if it was just because of the cost of building, then existing homes would be cheap. But they're not cheap either. Right. Well, the demand is really tremendous for housing in the area, just all the people coming here. On the affordable side, we've just got to have more subsidized units. Uh, there, it's a fair amount of public resources actually dedicated to that now. I guess I'd like to sort of have more transparency in the sense of there being r- regular reports on how many projects are actually, or how many units are being planned in terms of permitting, how many are under construction, how many are finished. Because in, in Raleigh and Wake County, we should be finishing three, four, five hundred a year. And I'm just not, I don't see the numbers, and I'm not really sure that that's happening. Also, we need all the players involved. I mean, it's not just Raleigh and Wake County, but all the other towns should be thinking about it. Maybe the Raleigh Housing Authority, a federal agency, can get some more federal money, do another project or two. Because they redid their existing projects in the 2000s and did an excellent job. Maybe it's time that they had another project as well. But everyone needs to get involved. 
I, I could tell you that there's some good news on that front is a, a number of the uh, other Wake County communities are really starting to, to get involved. Um, I've just been appointed to the uh, Apex uh, Housing Advisory Board and affordable. their new affordable housing plan is kind of the topic. Um, and uh, and that was the whole reason I was talking to Garner this morning, too. They, they, it's it's on everybody's radar, for sure. And there's a role for everyone to play. I mean, uh, you know, housing units in Garner, Apex, so they're affordable, help us all. And not just, you know, just people there, but also throughout Wake County, because now they don't have to move somewhere else to get affordable housing. So let's go back to 1985. You've just uh, you've just won a seat on the Raleigh City Council. What were the what were the issues of the day? Well, interestingly, it was sort of similar to now. There's sort of growth related issues and also transportation. Growth related, sort of in the sense uh, that the city was working on a on premise sign ordinance, so the signs wouldn't be quite as big. They're much smaller now than they used to be, and also a landscaping ordinance. So when you build a commercial development, you had to replant something because there wasn't really any requirement. And then it's about 15% of your commercial lots now go back into some kind of landscaping trees or bushes or whatever. So those were big factors. And the city was just starting to focus on transportation because traffic was getting to be an issue. The state wasn't really doing much of the thoroughfares. They were focusing on the I-40s, the big projects, and the widening of roads in town was something not, that wasn't really happening. So the city started focusing on that and finally started having road bond issues so the city itself could end up expanding those state thoroughfares. And from what I've seen today, I mean, a lot of a lot of good work got done back then, and it's continuing on even now. Well, there's always lots to do, and you never really get ahead of the curve. But there's no question that Raleigh, by having regular transportation, parks, and now affordable housing bond issues, uh, has been very helpful infrastructure in town. Not that we're ahead of the curve, but uh, we're doing pretty well in terms of keeping up. Have you um, have you followed the affordable housing bond that was passed recently? I was involved in the passage of it on the committee that was uh, advocating for it. I have not followed carefully exactly where they are. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I would like to see is a really good report showing how that $80 million is being used and how many units are actually coming online this year or next year. You know, what's really being accomplished? There are a lot of resources out there, and I'd like to see what the results are. And I've, I've gotten uh, to see some of that. Some some good efforts are being made, but you know it's it's uh, unfortunately that it's you can't solve these problems overnight. No, it's not something you can solve right away, or maybe solve ever. It would be helpful to have perhaps a countywide affordable housing task force or commission that kept an eye on what's going on throughout the county, advocated for any changes needed, and also reported maybe quarterly as to exactly what's happening. You know, which projects are being permitted, which ones are actually under construction, which ones have been finished this year. You know, where are we in terms of making progress on this? Yeah, because I know the county has a uh, their own affordable housing plan, but then the county and the municipalities, they don't answer to each other. And there, there kind of needs to almost be this um, <clears throat> kind of agreement among all the government entities to work well, together. It'd be a good idea to work together so things are spread around and also just to have an idea of what really has happened. I mean, there are a lot of good intentions, and I'd like to see those you know, transformed into positive results with hundreds of new units every year. Yeah, I agree. Um so you were on the council for eight years. That's correct. And then, and then you decided that uh, you're going to run for mayor. Now, what prompted that decision? Well, I was off from the mid-90s until, until, until late 90s or 2000. Well, you know, I'd been interested in running for mayor. And actually, I ran in 99 and did not get elected. came in third that year and was not in the runoff. And I was, again, focusing really on development issues. It seemed like uh, they needed to upgrade the standards a little bit there in terms of the tree conservation because the city did not have a tree conservation ordinance then. And also I'm focusing on more on parks and greenways. There had been a period of time where the city had not built uh, any new uh, community centers, wasn't buying parkland, even though we're growing rapidly. And that just seemed to be a mistake. 
And so in, in the period between when you finished up being a counselor and then uh, finally got elected mayor, were there some big changes in what was going on with the city in that period? Well, I mean, the main thing is that the city was growing rapidly, you mm-hmm. know, as much as uh, 3% a year, which is a lot when you compound that. And we weren't really keeping up with the infrastructure. There was a road bond issue, but there wasn't a, a parks bond issue. And also you could see the downtown wasn't doing well. The Fayetteville Street Mall was an interesting idea. However, it didn't work. You could walk up and down the mall and see the storefronts were closed. You could be there on weekends. No one was there. I mean, you could sense it. It just wasn't working. And in a way, you know, downtown isn't that important. It's a small piece of our city. On the other hand, a downtown is sort of the face of the community. When people come to visit, you know, if they see that your downtown is run down, not much is happening, they have a negative impression of your community, even though the rest of it may be doing fine. So it seemed like something ought to be happening there, and that the council just wasn't focused on that. So for those who haven't, uh, that didn't live here at that time, uh, explain what the Fayetteville Mall was. Well, it was a Fayetteville Street had been closed in the mid '70s to a pedestrian mall, mm-hmm. uh, which had some trees, some bushes, some uh, you know, benches, that kind of thing. You couldn't really see up and down uh, Fayetteville Street. You couldn't see the capital from what was then the Civic Center, which was in the middle of actually Fayetteville Street at that time. Um, and, and it was you know it was meant to be an attractive pedestrian setting. The problem was there just weren't enough people. And with stores, instead of getting business, lost business. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people used to drive by and park, well, now you, you couldn't drive by. Uh, so people just weren't there. And I can't tell you the exact number, but maybe half the storefronts were closed and not many were doing well. There weren't many restaurants downtown. You know, it just was a not a successful situation. And something needed to be done. I mean, you, one could have renovated the mall and somehow made it more attractive, maybe. Or you could have just started over and put it in the street, which is what the most people, not everybody, but most people thought that was the right answer. And that's what we did. You know, it's interesting because I'd, I'd mentioned that I, I uh, grew up in Tulsa and uh, they did the exact same thing in Tulsa, mm-hmm. uh, major downtown street and went pedestrian with it. And probably 15 years ago said, well, that, that didn't work yeah. after all. <laughs> well, there were dozens of cities that did that in the in the 70s. Right. And there are only a handful that worked. I'm sure it's Virginia's one that people point to that did work, but the great majority didn't work. So what is it that what is it that you wanted to accomplish as mayor that perhaps you wouldn't have been able to accomplish as a counselor? Well, the mayor, although having just one vote here in the city of Raleigh and it's a city manager, former government, nonetheless, is sort of the spokesperson for the, the city in a way and helps to set the agenda. So if the mayor is interested in focusing on something like a tree conservation ordinance, you can actually put that on the agenda and have the council discuss it. Now, the council may not want to proceed on a certain topic, but the mayor really has a lot more influence than that one vote. And particularly if you're active trying to, you know, get attention on certain issues. The other thing is, you know, the mayor doesn't have have to have new ideas. You can find someone else who's got a good idea and start focusing on that and start trying to do something. It wasn't my idea to reopen Fayetteville Street. Other people were talking about that. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like a good idea. And we started discussing it. And sure enough, pretty soon, it was the right idea. Yeah, and boy, to look at downtown now, it's just, uh, it's very vibrant. It's doing really well. I mean, the pandemic has been a challenge, but people are starting to come back downtown. There was some of that in the fall and a lot of it right now in February of 2022. Uh, we've got a ways to go in that regard. And the things the city could be doing downtown that I would like to see them do. For example, we made three or four of the streets that were one way, two way. Well, there's still another series of pairs that ought to be done. Mm-hmm. Lane and Jones, Salisbury and Wilmington blunt in person. You know, all those the council ought to be working on to make it more pedestrian friendly downtown. Also, we ought to have a really good market downtown. 
We have a small thing in the city market, but that central market building or something else ought to be a market that's active every day. Um, there are things that, I mean, the downtown, I agree, there's been a lot of private investment is doing well, but there are things still that ought to be done to really move it forward. Yeah, and those those one-way streets, uh, that can be kind of intimidating to people that don't go downtown much. They, well, they have two problems. One is you know, have to go four blocks to go one block if right. you're going the wrong way. And the other is it's sort of hard to sit outside on the sidewalk if someone's whizzing by at 35, 40 miles an hour on a one-way street. What you really need are streets that are much calmer, perhaps with the exception of Dawson McDowell. That's the one that maybe you have to keep uh, as, a, as a one-way pair. Most of the rest do not need that. Uh, they were put in before the Beltline was built. When if you wanted to get uh, around Raleigh, you had to go through Raleigh. Well, that changed you know, in the 60s. You can go around Raleigh on the Beltline. You don't need to come downtown if you're just going through town. Exactly. So, so the old saying is that the roads ought to go to town, not through town, and thus be too wet. Yeah. No, that, that's a good point. I, I hadn't lived here long enough. I didn't realize that you... You had to go through town to get through town. Well, you did until the early 60s when the, the top half of the Beltline was done. The southern half of the Beltline wasn't done until the early 80s. So that's how you you get through Raleigh. You'd come down on US-1, down Capitol Boulevard, and turn right on Hillsborough Street. I mean, it sounds crazy, but that's the way it was. And now here we are working on the second loop. Right. The, the outer loop is there and doing the, the southern half of that. Now, you also had some involvement in the... Um, kind of oversight on the building of the, the big convention center. Well, that was a, that was the other sort of major project we got going in early 2002. And again, that was something the Convention and Visitors Bureau and the Chamber of Commerce were the ones sort of initially promoting and that the council finally got behind. Now, Raleigh's a state capital. In many state capitals, the state actually will either build a convention center or at least invest in it. That's not the case here. We were fortunate, though, to have the hotel, motel, and prepared food taxes, whereby Raleigh and Wake County, because Wake County was a key key partner who could do something. So we had to study where it should go. We finally decided it should go downtown as opposed to somewhere else. And then we decided where it would be downtown. And of course, there weren't a lot of competing land uses. It was mainly parking lots in those days. And got the thing uh, built in the middle of Hurricane Katrina, which, of course, prices were going up left and right. But got it done. Uh, and Steve Schuster and the architects did a really good job. And it's a just an outstanding facility. It's one that will be there generations. It's, it's not something that's going to serve us 30, 40 years. It'll be 100 years from now. It's just a really good quality convention center. Well, and, and so many diverse uses, um, whether it's an enormous event or even you know smaller events. It just... all, all kinds of things that you can do, from, from meetings to big trade shows downstairs. Now these e-sports or mm-hmm. you know, the cheerleading contests are just... All kinds of things that serve this area, uh, you know, not just North Carolina, but you know, it's regional and national in some regards. Recently, I went. I attended the uh, Raleigh Chambers uh, Leadership Conference in in Wilmington, and, and uh, it was in Wilmington, but it's the Raleigh Chamber, and that's fine. Um, one of the things that was brought up was just kind of how different Raleigh's culture is, and and that some of the leaders will go to other cities around the country and and kind of hear some of the consternation that goes on there and how people here tend to kind of want to row the boat in the same direction. Have you found that to be true? Uh, well, you know, it, yes, certainly. The main thing that distinguishes this area, in part, is culture, but in part also is the research universities. There are about 100 in the world. There are 50 in the United States. And yet we have three, NC State, Duke, and Carolina, all right here in a fairly small community of just you know two or two and a half million people. So that means we've got a lot of well-educated people here, a lot of young people come here. So that in part defines us. Secondly, the, our politics has been less partisan than perhaps other places. Uh, in the 90s, there was some effort to make the political parties involved, and that worked for a while, but it pretty much ended by the time I got there. There's not a Republican view on 
you know, affordable housing or a democratic view on transportation. You just need to solve the problem. And that's really, uh, I think, where the focus has mainly been is you know, let's not sit around and argue about philosophical things. Let's try to address the issues that challenge our community. Yeah, certainly. Um, you don't have to turn on the evening news very long to just see how contentious politics is across the nation. And uh, we're pretty lucky here. You're, you're right. You really just don't hear that come up much. Right. Well, and it's, you know, good fortune is part of it, but also I think it takes hard work because it's easy for folks to just, you know, say, get in a fight and not do anything. And that's easy. Getting something done like opening Fayetteville Street or building a fence there, that's hard. And, you know, it takes a while to get those things done. We started talking about the new convention center in January of 2002 with the Chamber of Commerce and Convention and Visitors Bureau. Ribbon cutting was in September 2008, eight and a half years later. I mean, seven and a half years later. Think about how, how hard that is. Now, seven and a half years of planning, financing, building, finally getting it done. So that was hard work. Yeah. Yeah, that takes a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of fortitude to stick through that process. Um, I know that right now a lot of the the home builders are facing challenges with the supply chain and and, they're used to getting homes up in eight or nine months and now they're taking over a year and can't imagine how it feels if it took eight years to get a house up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course, it's a much bigger facility, but you just got to hang in there and you got to be flexible and, you know, people have different views. You got to try to accommodate as many as you can. So what's, uh, I mean, <clears throat> you obviously have a, a unique perspective on, on the Raleigh's growth, uh, you know, through the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. And, and, and you know, you, you're still very kind of plugged in and aware of what's going on today. What, what are your perceptions of how things are going today from a growth perspective, maybe perhaps compared to the, the way it was before? Well, certainly, you know, there, there is a lot of growth. More of it is in the, the central part of the community, not all of it by any means, but you certainly have a lot more apartments now or, or things in the central parts of the community near where the workspaces are. We're much more a national community now with these big companies, Apple, Google, whoever, and talking about coming here, the pharmaceutical companies. So we're really at a very different spot in terms of the kind of focus we have. Of course, IBM came here in the 70s, but uh, you know, what we're seeing today is really a different scale in terms of the numbers of companies coming here than did before. So, so the, the the growth is different. You know, one thing you, I think is a pretty good observation is that the only thing worse than too much growth is not enough growth, and because then your community is stagnating, there are not opportunities. So growth has its challenges, but it provides a lot of opportunities for a lot of people in terms of jobs, uh, in terms of you know where they can go to school. Just everything about this country is in a much better community, a growing community. Yeah, um, somebody once told me communities are either growing or dying, and they, they never just stay static. Well, and in the recent census report from North Carolina shows about half the counties losing population. Well, think about that. You know, and these are our neighbors not that far away, 40, 50 miles, losing population. I mean, that's remarkable compared to what we're dealing with in terms of people coming here, including some people from those smaller counties. Well, and I'm, I'm pretty good friends with my counterpart at the uh, HBA in Detroit, and uh, he hadn't had a lot of fun, I don't think. so. And if you're listening, Michael, sorry about throwing you <laughs> under the bus there. but Well, it's a very different situation. I think it'd be interesting and challenging, but it's so different than what we face. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I, I like our challenges better. <laughs> so is there anything um, that, that you can think of in terms of kind of forward-looking, you know, part of Imagine Wake we're talking about that the, the numbers we're hearing is that we'll, the net growth of our county will be about a quarter of a million more than we have today. And is there anything we should be looking at or thinking about in our in kind of a forward-looking way uh, 
that maybe we're not thinking about yet? Well, I think, you know, a couple of things. I mean, one is obviously we need to push forward the public transportation, even though only a relatively few percent of people will use that. It's still important to have that going. Secondly, we need to do whatever we can to get as much housing, whether it be apartments or whatever, near employment centers, uh, like near the park, uh, near downtown Raleigh, the other places. Because when someone either walks or drives a mile or two to work, that's so different in terms of the, the, the sort of burden it puts on our transportation system than someone who drives 20 or 30 miles. And of course, the person's quality of life is so much better because they're commuting a short time instead of a long time. So I think I'd really focus on that. The affordable housing, of course, is a big factor, and we are focusing on that, but I think we really need to you know, even do a little bit more there. And then finally, of course, the school system. Uh, you know, that is one that's been a, a big plus for Raleigh and Wake County uh, throughout the years. And we need to focus on that to have the best public school system we can, because that's really what, what is so important to so many families and why they're willing to come to Raleigh instead of going wherever else they can go. You know, they can go to Austin, they can go to Orlando, and we want them to be happy coming here, not just because of the employment, but because of the quality of life for their family. Well, clearly it's getting the attention of a lot of folks, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people moving here. And uh, the uh, public transportation part is, is interesting because Raleigh does have a history of being a more of a car based community. Um, but in my observations, the cities that I've been in that have a really outstanding public transportation system like Washington, D.C., like Chicago, like New York, it's because um, of the density. And it's, it's hard to have effective public transportation when everybody's so spread out. It is very hard. And one advantage of public transportation is that you can uh, have a good reason to have more density around the stops. Not that everybody's going to ride it, but it allows more density there. And hopefully those stops are fairly near employment centers, too. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do there. And, of course, the, the way you get moving ahead is just start building. And hopefully our bus rapid transit will do well in the commuter rail within six or eight years. I think there's a lot of excitement around that. And, um, you know, increasing density is a, is a, it's a tricky thing. Because on the one hand, it's it's a necessity of a growing community, but then you know it also kind of ruffles some feathers. It, it changes the character of areas, and, and some of that comes out. Well, it does. You know, here in Boone Heights, I mean, we used to be an area of the city that needed improvement, and people typically have not opposed some of the bigger apartment projects. Not that that big, but six or eight stories nearby, just because that meant more investment and sort of more secure area. Now, people wouldn't be happy if you started tearing down individual houses in Boone Heights. But building around the edge of it has been something people accept here. I think that's what people need to do. There are areas of town that are going to get redeveloped. There are other established neighborhoods that just simply aren't going to be left alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. And then it's uh, Raleigh's footprint has has grown over the years now, too. And, I mean, you, there's parts of, you know, you get up around Wake Forest, and, and the, the line between Raleigh and Wake Forest is, is, is kind of meandering. <laughs> well, it's, it's pretty much gone, and Raleigh really is hemmed in on most sides, whether it be by the watersheds or by the adjoining towns. I mean, there are some vacant parcels, but they're not big tracks like there may have been 20 or 30 years ago. But that just means that it's time to redevelop some areas and get more density where there may be, you know, 50 smaller houses. You come back with 500 apartments or townhouses, something like that. Since you live in, a, in an older neighborhood, and I'm sure you've seen uh, infill, even probably even near you, uh, how, how do you think that's been dealt with uh in recent years in Raleigh? Well, I've generally liked what we've seen around here. We've got an apartment or a condominium project just across the Bullen Avenue overpass. Uh, there's a project going in down near the uh, railroad station on Cabrera Street. Uh, you know, I'm liking that. There are a number of smaller houses built on uh, Dorothea Drive over there. So the infills really worked pretty well for us. We've just had, and then the Bullen Heights proper, there's just been five or six new houses built in the last 
20 years maybe, not a lot. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they're built to historic district standards in terms of how they appear. So the infills would work pretty well for us. Yeah, and I think that's you know obviously an important part of the future as well. No, no question. I mean, there are large areas of town, or at least significant areas, that are going to need to be redeveloped over time because they've got good transportation, good schools, and just need some more density and some new buildings. Um, I've kind of run out of my questions, so I mean, we can. If there's something else you wanted to, no, I think I think you've covered it. You know, each time is really challenging and interesting, and this time is really challenging and interesting. It certainly was in the '80s. Certainly was when I was mayor, and I think it's very much the same. I think it's a, a fun place to be with lots of things to work on. You know, that's a good a good perspective that you know we we see and hear the growth now, but some people have been around maybe don't realize that a lot of these same issues were being dealt with decades ago. They were, and you know, growth has been a topic of discussion in city council elections as long as I can remember. Yeah. And as far as I know, that's the way it's going to be. That's that's the way it's going to keep being. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Charles, I appreciate you giving us some of your time today for this podcast. I appreciate your involvement with uh, Imagine Wake. And we look forward to continuing the discussion. Well, me too. I look forward to the discussion also to see how our community evolves over the years. Perfect. Thank you.